Welcome to You're the Boss, a mantra for anyone who's ever had to face their own fears, struggles, and even failures. Join host Larry Roberts for a deep dive into overcoming limiting beliefs and identifying where our pasts can shape us rather than define us to build a lifestyle and business filled with passion and purposeful leadership. Now your host, Larry Roberts. Paul Huzar is the CEO of VetCorps and Team VetCorps and a retired Army officer. Paul graduated from West Point and then served 23 years on active duty, including four combat tours in Iraq. He commanded a 1,000 soldier and airman joint task force in 09 and 10 and last served as the dean of the Army's engineer school. He retired and moved to Tampa in 2013 when he started VetCorps and started franchising the concept in 2019. His passion is creating sustainable and meaningful employment opportunities and now business ownership opportunities for our nation's heroes. Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks, Larry. Appreciate you having me. Man, it's it's great to have you here. You know, we were talking kind of in the green room. I like to say green room because it sounds official. Uh, <laughs> we, were, we were talking before we started recording, and, you know, I love supporting veterans, and I want to first and foremost thank you for your service and everything that you continue to do for America's Heroes. Well, thank you, sir. It's, it's a passion of mine. And uh, certainly I want to continue to take care of what I call my former teammates, uh, the folks, the men and women who I, who I used to serve with and are either still serving and getting ready to transition to kind of phase two like I am or already there and are um, kind of still searching for that connection, kind of same cultures, norms, and values. And that's what we're trying to create is those similar cultures, norms, and values. But, you know, now we can grow facial hair and, uh, and don't have to stand in formation. So there you go. There you go. Unfortunately, I never had the opportunity to serve. I was born with a birth defect. And even though I lived at the recruiter's office, my senior year in high, I mean, literally lived there, right? I was Sergeant Longmire. I still remember his name and we became friends. I wanted to join, but I couldn't pass the physical because of my birth defect. And I've only got about 60% normal average individual lung capacity. So a uh, little frail back then, but I always wanted that camaraderie and I wanted that opportunity to serve. So I, I ch- kind of live vicariously through individuals like yourself that have given your lives to to service. So tell me, I, I have to imagine that transitioning from a position like that, an environment like that, uh, into the free world, if you will, uh, civilian world, it's got to be shocking. Yeah, you know, ironically, I was just having this discussion with a friend of mine. He is a, he just retired as a colonel out, uh, out of McDill Air Force Base right near Harris and out of the United States, the United States Special Operations Command. He's an Air Force Academy grad. And we were talking about this. And I said, you ever, you ever seen that movie uh, Incredibles? And, uh, you know, where the guy, uh, the guy says, woman, where is my super suit? You know, because he wants to get back in the game. It's what I felt like when I transitioned, right? I took off my super suit. And with that came my identity. Because, you know, you're in the military. It's got your name and your service that you, but it also has all the wolf badges on there. I was a master parachutist, a pathfinder, a sapper leader, had all that stuff on my uniform. And and in many ways, our identity goes with that. And it's one of the challenges that, that folks transitioning out of the military have. And also then you kind of land in this new community 
of, of civilians. And um, while they revere us, they thank us for our service, they respect us, right? They don't really know us. And so you lose your identity and then, then you come to a new community where the, they don't really understand you and it takes a while to, to kind of make that switch effectively. And so it's one of the things I'm, I'm proud of with VetCool. We help people with that transition, you know, and create opportunities for them to be successful in this new career in this new civilian community. So we mentioned VetCore in the introduction. You, you brought it up again here. What exactly is VetCore? Yeah. So VetCore is a, and it's, it's a restoration company, right? Okay. okay. It, it, so we do water damage, mold remediation, fire damage, temporary roof tarping, biotrauma, crime scene cleanup. It's very much like a lot of name brands that you'll hear out there and franchises except I say better because our policy is we hire um, veterans and those who share similar values. So we're trying to develop this brand known for quality, timely, reliable service and the value of veterans. And then two years ago, Team VetCore we started, which is a series of companies, holding company, it's a holding company that owns VetCore Franchising, VetCore Logistics, a couple of others that facilitate then the franchising of that concept to help veterans become business owners, not just veterans, veterans and veteran advocates, but you got to want to kind of cultivate the same cultures, norms, and values of the military and hire veterans and create opportunities for them. It's got to be easier too, especially from a veteran perspective to go into something that is a franchise you know, so many people come out and I don't necessarily mean even for the military, yeah. but from, they go yeah. out, they want to start their own business. They want to be an entrepreneur. They want to grow their own business. And regrettably, the vast majority of them fail miserably. But with a franchise, at least from some of the conversations I've had before, a franchise, I think your chances of success are higher Yes, because you already have systems in place. You've got proven, implemented repeatable procedures that are there, which I have to imagine coming from a military background, those repeatable procedures, they're like second nature. Yep. So veterans statistically make phenomenal franchisees and, and people sometimes mistake that they, they think, Oh, veterans are used to following orders and very rotely, you know, they stay between the lines and, and they execute. Well, that's true. They execute standard operating procedures. They execute orders, but they also operate within intent. And commander's intent, you're, we're taught as, as military leaders to understand commander's intent two levels above so that we can operate with that intent and use our initiative. And what I tell people is the U.S. military is the best military that's ever roamed the planet because we have the ability to exercise initiative at the small unit level level. And that's what makes us so great. So not only can we follow those SOPs, we can make them better by living within the spirit and the intent of the, in the military, it's the commander. What I say with VetCorps is within the brand. If you understand what our brand story is, what our brand promise is, you're going to see as a franchisee and a teammate of ours, you're going to see opportunities long before I ever will. And so the way I was as a, as a battalion commander with my subordinate companies, I want you to take care, take advantage of those advantages and run with my intent. And, and that's what we try and do here. We also say, you know, before I started franchising, I spent about almost two years studying it as a business model because I wanted to make sure, you know, we did it right. And as I started studying it and, and I, I enrolled in this thing called the certified executive, certified franchise executive program, 
I learned that really the essence of franchising is training, standardizing, and replicating. So you know any organizations, any institutions that have a good reputation at training, standardizing, and replicating? Uh, there are several branches out there that do it. Yeah, yeah. it kind of plays yeah. to our strengths, right? And yeah. so it's just a natural fit. You mentioned the, the, the VetCorp story, the brand story, or the franchise story. Tell me more about that. <laughs> so I got out, I, I'm, you know, I was a Corps of Engineers officer, right? So mm -hmm. uh, I'm a, I'm a licensed professional engineer. I have a bachelor's and master's in civil engineering. And when I was preparing to retire, all my mentors said, look, you can, you can follow your opportunity and find the best opportunity. And, and typically that was something in engineering and project management and go wherever that takes you. Or you can pick quality of life, go where you want to go and then find the best opportunity there. And so I had just come off of um, three nearly back-to-back -back deployments and um, to Iraq and, and followed by an unaccompanied short tour in Korea by myself. I had a family. And so I said, now I think I'm going to pick quality of life. And so I came to Tampa, Florida, and then proceeded to get depressed because, you know, I took off my super suit. People didn't know me, didn't know who I was, and I was having challenges finding a job. And here I am, you know, West Point grad, educated yeah. former battalion commander and people didn't know who I was. And it was funny. I make, I make fun of myself now. Go, Don't you people know who I am? No. And nor did they care. They thanked me for my service, which I appreciated. Right. Sure. But, but, and I studied this very closely and I, and I, because I said, man, if I'm having this problem, what about the youngsters that, you know, gave maybe five years of their life as an adult you know, graduate high school, go to a recruiter, get out as a sergeant and had so much more responsibility as a sergeant in the army compared to their civilian peers, but then can't find a job. And they don't have nearly the credentials I did. And so I really started getting depressed. I started studying the issue and then I just started networking, networking, networking and fell upon this opportunity to start that course. And it has a little bit to, I mean, restoration has a little bit to do with engineering. And, and, and that's how this, the CEO of this engineering firm that started VetCorp got a hold of me and, and we found each other. But he was a prior army officer and that's how he kind of knew what my resume meant. If that wouldn't happen, I don't know, you know where I'd be right now. Right. So that's right. what really got the ball started rolling for me. It was really serendipitous, very fortunate, very lucky. What drew you to that besides that? I mean, of course, restoration kind of uh, yeah. dotted line to uh, engineering to a certain degree. What really drew you in there? So interesting. My last job in the Army, I was the director of training and leader development for the U.S. Army Engineer School. And that's a really long title. And, and the Army in particular is really good at making really long titles. But my peer equivalent in the Air Force Civil Engineering School, his title was the dean. <laughs> okay. Right? That's simple. And, yeah. So you know what the dean of a school does, right? So that's why I tell people I was the dean. So as the dean of the Army Engineer School, I was responsible for the training and training development of 12 occupational specialties. Plumbers, carpenters, electricians, firefighters, divers, heavy equipment operators. It goes on and on and on. But the point is they're pretty marketable skill sets, right? Skilled trades. And at the time, the chief of engineers, a three-star general, had just come from being the chief personnel officer of the Army. And he, he comes to me and says, Who's our, we got a problem in the Army right now. This was back in 2013. He said, as the chief personnel officer of the Army, I was getting a bill to pay for the Army's fair share of unemployment 
because if you remember what life was like in 2013, we were downsizing the military pretty significantly coming out of Iraq and Afghanistan, trying to, and we we're supposed to be pivoting the Pacific. And, and there, it was a, we were under budgetary constraints, a sequestered budget. And he said more and more of our operational dollars for the military to keep us operationally ready was going to pay for something that had nothing to do with operational readiness. It, it's paying unemployment mm-hmm. because Uncle Sam has to pay their fair share of unemployment when a soldier, sailor, airman, ring gets out and can't get a job. And he said, now I'm the chief of engineers. We have plumbers, carpenters, electricians. They shouldn't have trouble finding a job. And I said, yes, sir, you're right. So as I started deep diving in that problem, what I realized is when we trained all those soldiers and, and sailors and airmen and Marines also, because we, we trained the, the joint force, but essentially trained them at one centralized location, Fort Leonardwood, Missouri, for the Army Engineer School, and then sent them to 50 different states uh, because we also trained the Army's National Guard as well. Guess what credential they got to be a plumber, a carpenter, or electrician, or whatever? Tell me. Nothing. Because states maintain credentialing authority, licensing authority for those skill sets. Okay. So it's kind of like a state's rights kind of thing. And in many cases, labor unions run those credentialing programs. And so have you ever tried to get 50 states to agree on one common standard of anything? <laughs> it's and, definitely a and challenge. And so I was like, oh, my God, we this is a serious problem. And it's an unsolvable and just because of the nature, the political nature of states' rights. Uh, and, and the financial like impact of, of even trying. Huge. I, I just said so it on a conversation a, with the guy, with the doctor that uh, created Teladoc and heard his story. He was yeah, speaking at yeah. an event that I was at. And, you know, it, same, similar challenges, but even probably uh, on a deeper level because now we're dealing with medical practice. And every state was a massive, massive undertaking. So I can't imagine what it would be, you know, something similar here that you're, you're yeah. dealing with as well. So veteran unemployment was sky high at the time. And now, and I've got, you know, this understanding of this. And then I transition out and now I'm faced with those similar challenges. I was a licensed professional engineer in, in uh, Missouri, but now I'm living in Florida and all this stuff. So I stumble across this crazy series of networking events with this opportunity to, because of my engineering degree, I get introduced to this guy who's running a, uh, the engineering company, but had just started this restoration company. And he said he wants to call back where he was a veteran and wanted to do something to help vets and also kind of distinguish that brand because veterans show up, you know, early because early is on time and on time is late and things like that. And he thought that would be a distinguishable kind of feature of this brand in restoration. And he says, Hey, I, I know what you're what your resume is. I know what, you know, commanding a battalion is and all these kinds of things. So I want you to be the president of this company. And so I've gone from my last job as uh, on active duty to not being able to solve this problem to realizing that the restoration industry doesn't have that problem. It's not governed by licenses. So you can become a water damage restoration technician through a three day course. That's a national training course certified nationally, not by States. And I was like, oh, my God. Hell, yeah. Count yeah, me in. Man. Yeah. You know, and not that I was passionate about restoration, but I was passionate about creating opportunities for vets. And that's what got me started. And then, you know, we said, ah, we, we turned it into something really big. We won a bunch of awards. We started getting the microphone and telling people, hey, our secret to our success. We hired veterans. You should try it. And then we started franchising it, and we haven't looked back. That kind of answers a question that I had that I had kind of queued up was, 
you know, with, with so many different offerings through VetCore, so many different restoration techniques, whether it's fire or water or even crime scene cleanup that you mentioned there. It's funny you brought that one up because a friend of mine was, he tried to get into that and he's tried to sucker me into it too. And I'm like, bro, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know that I want to come in there after some of these scenes. So I'll probably pass yeah, on uh, that. But it's so many different trades slash professions. Do vets have to become certified in, in all, I think you said there was 12, do they have to, these 12 disciplines? Or so the, the 12 disciplines were the skilled trades in the Army, in okay. the military, right? Okay. In restoration, my, my chief operating officer is a retired sergeant major, and, and he and I talk and we, we laugh and we say, look, this is science, but it's not rocket science. And so in restoration, they're not considered skilled trades. So it's a literally it's a three day course to become a, a water damage restoration technician. It's a five day course to be kind of the, the project manager equivalent of add on tack on applied structural drying. It's another three day course for fire and smoke remediation technician. So you can tack on all these courses, but they're really training certifications, not licenses. So really, as long as you're willing to be fit, polite, treat people with dignity and respect, willing to learn able to learn, which I just identified the characteristics of most veterans, right? We can get you into a sustainable, meaningful career opportunity. And you can continue to tack on, you know, mold remediation technician, biotrauma crime scene technician, et cetera. And there, and, and just continue to learn technically. And you can also expand, you know, that you have more management capability as well. Makes an intriguing opportunity for vets. Yeah, and it's a it's it's a constant evolution, which is always great too, because you know you, you there's that opportunity to stagnate in whatever we are that we're doing, and and sometimes I mean especially guys that like to get out there and get their hands dirty and actually be hands on in more of a trades type environment, they're they're constantly wanting to absorb yeah. and learn more and new techniques that will either simplify or expand their overall capabilities, and it sounds like VetCore offers that for everybody. Yeah. And, and, you know, every day it's something different, whether it's a kitchen fire, dishwasher, ice maker, hot water heater, air conditioning unit, plumbing leak, a ceiling leak, a hurricane, flooding, you name it. And, and every, every day is a different challenge, but you can count on the challenge that you can overcome. It's overcomable, right? And you're helping people in their time of need. And it's very service oriented, which also kind of scratches that itch for veterans of being part of something bigger than themselves, helping others when they have challenges, helping themselves, which is kind of what we did in the military. Just, you know, focus a little bit differently. Sure. So it's, I think it's just a great industry for veterans to be a part of. So now as part of the franchising, do you come in with, because I I know one of the biggest challenges for especially service-based entrepreneurs is trying to figure out pricing. You know, where do I price my service at? I used to own a swimming pool company, and the only way that I knew what to charge was to pretend I had a pool and call other companies to see what they're charging. And when I started building pools, I'd call builders out to go, hey, I'm going to put a pool in the backyard so I'd get bids. And that's how I started figuring out how to price things. Uh, do you have pricing structures in place? I mean, do you have everything that a, a veteran would need? I mean, when they can, can they hit the ground running? We do. The, the Kind of the cool thing about us, our business model, we've been able to grow our business. So I started this really in t- 2013. We expanded it with a couple different offices and through my business partner, David Howard, who was the, initially the founder of the company, I had the opportunity to buy it along the way and become the majority owner. But David's still involved and he is, he's been connecting me with insurance industry executives because he's an insurance industry executive himself. 
And as we've done that, we've established these strategic relationships with our clients, insurance carriers, and TPAs, third-party administrators. So now we're a preferred vendor for over 60 insurance carriers in Florida, eight national TPAs, third-party administrators. And so with those come service level agreements. We basically say, um, we'll use this software and this software will adjust pricing based on your zip codes, you know, the, the um, standard of living pricing indexes and things, but you can earn a fair profit based on the standard level pricing, right? And so that's our model. We, we seek to kind of create great service experiences with our customers who are typically insured customers of our insurance carrier clients. We get the claims referred to us by the insurance carrier clients or their, their um, outsourced third-party administrators. So we're saving them money because we're typically keeping the claims dollars very low. And when we do that and use their standard service level agreement pricing, there's a fair profit built in. So win for them, win for the customer, win for us. We get more jobs, we get a better reputation, we get to hire more vets, we get to offer more franchises to other fellow vets. Win, win, win. Yeah, no, that's that's great. And, and, and that's one of the benefits, I think, to franchising. Is, is that is. one of the goals behind franchising this entire operation was just because it can be so difficult, not just transitioning from that environment to a civilian environment, but difficult starting a business. I mean, starting a business is, is. tough. Yep. You know, I, I've only been doing this full time since January 4th of this year. And already over the course of 12 months, I've had to pivot a couple of times. And a franchise, if there was a, if there was a content creation franchise, I'd be interested in learning. <laughs> but, <laughs> but to my knowledge, that does not exist. But if, for those that do struggle with setups and, and, and understanding tax laws and understanding, you know, all, getting your, your, your LLC or whatever it may be, a franchise can simplify that for them, can it? Yeah, it basically comes with a recipe for success. It comes with an operations manual. Plus, you also get the intellectual property. You get the brand that comes with it, right? So I tell people what I've learned is I started this business on, on our own. And it, it, but for the fact that, you know, David Howard, my business partner, had connections and helped us get in and, and, and create those opportunities where we could kind of sell or tell our story. Um, I tell people there, there's the two hardest things about starting a business is getting the business marketing, right? 100%. Finding your target market and getting in the door. So you, you do a great job with this podcast, right? But you still have got to be able to get it in front of the right people that want to listen because until they know that you exist, they don't know you exist, right? right. right. So whether you, whether you're making a widget or you have a service, you know, you still got to find the people that need your widget or need your service. So that's hard with a brand, with franchising, basically that much of that is done for you. And then the other piece is financing the business, right? Most businesses fail within the first three years because they're undercapitalized. Yeah. Well, in our case, we're a preferred franchise or with the SBA. So as a result, it makes it relatively easy to get an SBA loan. And we've already put together, here's what you need for your, you know, your initial startup costs. Here's what you need for your pro forma in business. You got to run that by the SBA to get your funding. Here's a formula that typically works. They get to validate that concept with existing franchisees who are, you know, making it work already. And then they also become their kind of big brothers and mentors to the left and to the right of them. So it's a system that enables success and, and facilitates success with all of the kind of cookie cutter solutions that they can use. They don't have to because a franchisee essentially is an independent business owner 
who buys the right to use that intellectual property, those operational procedures, those relationships with insurance companies and CPAs and other things that it's the cookie cutter solution in a specific geographic area for a specific purpose. So they become their own CEO, but with a guide to success. What are some of the biggest challenges that a veteran may run into when they're trying to get a, become a part of VetCorps? What, what are some, if there's somebody listening right now, they're going, man, this sounds really cool. I'd like to be a part of it. What are some of the, the, the biggest struggles that you see vets having getting involved? Well, so they certainly have a bunch of strengths, right? Leading, training, managing, dealing with personnel issues and supervising them. They're really good at that because our, our military does a great job. I'd say it's a leadership laboratory. It's, the, it's where we create leaders. It's probably next to, you know, the mission of fighting and winning our nation's wars, but probably the second greatest thing our military does is create some great citizens for the United States, okay? But what it doesn't do a good job of is anything with marketing, sales, insurance, finance, all that stuff. So what we try to do with VetCorps is our training plans. When you come to VetCorps and you, you know, if it's a good fit for them, good fit for us, we sign a franchise agreement, become a franchisee, because we're also veterans, we understand that, we understand what they're good at, and we understand what their weaknesses are, the potential gaps are. So we try to fill in those gaps with our training and education programs so we mitigate that, right? Because we've walked in their shoes, we understand, hey, look, I'm a 23-year Army vet, my chief operating officer, retired sergeant major, there are none finer at creating training plans for individuals than sergeant's major in the Army. And he's the guy who, who developed our training plan. And so what we try to do is recognize where those gaps may be, and we continue to learn. It's another kind of, I think, concept that is, um, I won't say unique, but certainly relevant to the military. Everything we do, we do an after-action An after-action review is all about establishing what happened, why did it happen, and how we can improve. So we've gone through 11 iterations. We have 11 franchisees. We've gone through 11 iterations of what happened, why it happened, how we can improve. So we continue to improve the training, the processes, et cetera, and, and iterate and get better at. It. So I think, you know, the things that, that typically veterans don't have experiences in, the, the business side of things, that's where it really helps by buying into a franchisee because you're, you're getting those lessons learned. You're paying for my scars <laughs> that I've already had and earned, so you don't have to earn them. Um, and, and the kind of the recipes for success to mitigate any of those blind spots and weaknesses you may have. So I guess that's a cool, I mean, you, you, you kind of have built in coaching right there. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's exactly what it is. You know, I, I just went to a, just this week, Monday and Tuesday, I was at a speaker's boot camp for professional and stage speakers. And the point there is, is that we always have to keep learning. We have to keep evolving and at times it can be difficult to find those people that are in place that we can put our trust in and put our faith in to teach us and show us the right thing to actually make the progression that we're looking to make. But with the franchise and being a part of something like VetCorps, you're, that's there. It's guaranteed. It's, it's in place today as we speak. Yeah. And, you know, I think the, the, the interesting thing apart about, about our model is veterans of the U.S. military the U.S. military in general, as I say, in a leadership laboratory, it's very much a pyramid organization, right? It's up or out. And the military encourages you and always pushes you to become a better leader to prepare you for the next step. And, and ultimately, it ends sooner or later for all of us, right? But along that ride, it's up or out along that pyramid. So the people that we find by looking for veterans are very much into professional and personal development. 
So they're always looking to continue to improve. So I said, man, imagine now a network nationwide of franchisees. And you can also learn from the people to the left and the right of you. Yeah. Right. Imagine the power in that learning organization when everybody has grown up in this leadership laboratory or, or is a veteran advocate and, and understands that that's the culture, right? Imagine a culture of learning and continuous improvement and after action reviews amongst your brothers and sisters in, I would say in arms, because it used to be brothers in arms, right? But yeah. now it's brothers and sisters in restoration, right? It's just such a powerful model. And then I, you know, I'd ask you, Mr. Insurance Company Executive or Mr. Customer, who happens to live in, let's say, the southeast United States and a major hurricane hits the eastern seaboard, who do you want to come to your rescue? Yeah. A network of military veterans who are continually learning, have experience in combat operations, commanding controlling units in austere conditions, or, or some other company. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll take VetCorp, please, sir. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, Paul, tell us more about where people can find information on VetCorp and how can they be a part of it? Sure. I mean, we have our website, VetCor, V-E-T-C-O-R services.com. There's information there about our company as well as about franchise opportunities. We have a YouTube channel as well, links to that off our website. We have a bunch of videos there. We do things like host webinars, franchising 101 for, for veterans, things like that. All free content that we just want to share with our veterans. They can connect with me personally. Uh, I'm, I'm a social media hog because I, I love talking about veterans and what they do and promoting my team. So Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn in particular, and we share a lot of rich content on there too. I, I try and spread the gospel, not just about growing our company and our franchise network, but spread the gospel about the value of veterans. And I do a lot of public speaking with chambers of commerce, industry associations, and helping fellow vets. So any of those methods, I'm happy to connect with people and, uh, and share good ideas uh, um, willingly and, and seal them shamelessly, particularly if it, you know, it revolves around hiring vets or opportunities for vets. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, man, I appreciate it. I appreciate you joining me for this episode of the podcast. I, it, was, it was great. It's great to know that people like you are out there are setting up these opportunities and giving some direction for our veterans. So thank you for that. Thanks, brother. And thanks for helping us promote it and just allowing us to tell the story. We really appreciate you and those like you who, who care so much about our veterans. Thank you, sir. Thanks, man. Hey, everybody, if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, I want to say thank you, but I also want to ask a little favor. If this is your first time listening, head over there, hit the subscribe button so I can continue to bring you this awesome content every Tuesday of the week. 6 a.m. Central is when it starts. So look for it every Tuesday. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. You've just listened to You're the Boss with Larry Roberts. Join us for our next episode where we help you achieve your goals and live your absolute best life. Be sure to subscribe, connect, and share. Until next time, remember, you're the boss. <laughs>